Welcome to Mind of State, a podcast for both political junkies and armchair shrinks. I'm psychoanalyst and trauma therapist, Betty Tang. And I'm political communication strategist, Jonathan Kopp. Join us as we welcome experts in politics and psychology to consider this, the state of our nation through the state of our minds and the mind of our state. Hi, Betty. Hi, Jonathan. I am exhausted, Betty. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind telling you. I am I am glued to the TV. I'm watching every minute. I'm reading every article. I'm watching the videos as they continue to pour out from cell phones and and other devices that were in the Capitol at that siege a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And the more we learn, the more I want to know more. I want to understand what was going through the minds of these people. Why were they there? What were they hoping to achieve? And it's it's incredibly unsettling. Is it a shock or are you over the shock? You know, I, I'm, I'm afraid of the normalization of it, uh, frankly, because we, we need to be shocked. We need to be outraged and we need to recognize that this is not normal. Yeah. We need heavy consequences and, and reckoning. Yeah. And I think we really need to think about this as, as you're doing. You're trying to mull this over and look at everything and think. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. It's, it's sort of like the how could this be and, and where did this come from? Because it didn't happen overnight. Yeah. And how do we prevent it from ever happening again? Um, and that's where the reckoning comes in. And it's in this moment where we are. Uh, it's incredibly difficult to process because not only is there an overwhelming volume of content and conversation, but we're also experiencing it in real time. We don't yet have the objectivity of time and distance from these events that are ruling our lives at the moment. Right. And that that's, you know, it's the paradoxic nature of being overwhelmed. It's It's that you're in it and you're consumed by it and you're feeling it and flooded by it. And yet you can't have that distance from it to think about it, which is our objective here is to think about the chaos, to make sense of the nonsense. Indeed. I, I think uh, what a <laughs> what a wonderful stroke it is that we have uh, an expert here with us who will help ground us with context for history, mythology, and a remote detachment from our events here that maybe helps us give some uh, nuanced understanding to what it is that we're experiencing. And to help give us some perspective, uh, our next guest is Jules Cashford. She's a Jungian analyst who studied literature at Cambridge. Her books include The Moon, Symbol of Transformation, and The Myth of the Goddess, Evolution of an Image. She's joining us from her home in the UK. Thank you so much for being with us, Jules. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great privilege. You know, you're, you're an outside observer. I uh, can't help but note your accent. Our audiences will identify a British perspective. Yeah, and, um, and so you're, you're, you're an outside observer of American politics and, and an expert on myth uh, and history. And I wonder, from your perspective, Jules, what is the view from abroad of... Donald Trump's second impeachment, this seditionist siege on the Capitol. What, what did it look like to see insurrectionists in, in fur pelts and horned Viking helmets and war paint storming the U.S. Capitol? What a question. Well, it, it looks absolutely incredible, something that we could never, ever, ever have believed. And yet somehow something that 
we could have anticipated if we had begun at the beginning of of Trump's presidency and saw the divisiveness of the way that he thought and how right at the beginning from locker up to to Hillary Clinton i mean in i suppose from from abroad it's inconceivable anyone would say that about their opponent to start right there and we can be you know over english and over polite which doesn't help either but it it's just that the, the the level of sneer really i think is is unprecedented it's it's acknowledged and and clapped really is that's what's so frightening and therefore you sort of wonder if you haven't seen this coming all along and 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 then of course you can one can over overdo that but it is it is a culmination it doesn't come up completely out of the blue does it I think it's really uh, it's instructive and it's useful for us to think back to the beginning, as you suggest, in Trump's attacks on Hillary Clinton. I'm reminded of of his attacks on on Hillary when just last week, reportedly, Donald Trump said to his vice president, either you're a patriot or a pussy. Yeah. The paradigm there that Donald Trump was laying out, you know, using gender uh, and sneer and, and this sort of personal attack. Um, really harkens back to those earliest fights that he was having in his attacks on Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and and anyone afterwards who who disagreed with him, I mean, he's bullying Pence in that moment, isn't he? He's threatening him. Absolutely. If you don't go with me, you're you're going to be in trouble, and that's what he said to so many people, and that's really what was happening at, at in in the Capitol. They weren't going with him. And Jules, you have written about liberty and freedom and the Constitution and the Statute of Liberty, um, these icons of American democracy, from the perspective of, of from across the pond, looking at this bullying, looking at this aggression, and with your with your base in myth and philosophy and, and history, how do you make sense of what is coming out? What is the grounding in perhaps our attitudes about liberty and freedom here in the United States? I think probably that that freedom means different things to different groups of people in in the United States, perhaps more polarized because it's such a big country and also because people live slightly different kinds of lives, more than, say, in England or Britain or Scotland or, or Wales. And... You you wonder if the the people who Donald Trump appeals to have felt so disenfranchised, i.e., so lacking in the freedoms that 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 the more metropolitan, um, more sort of regular regular people, the, what we would call the establishment in English, but the 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 political correct, as it were, what they maybe seeing that they enjoy and 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 the trump supporters have felt felt sided out really and they, and he spoke for them albeit when when i listen to the the talks i think oh goodness don't don't be divisive but from their point of view they're thinking gosh someone's on our side for once nobody's been on our side and that increases and i think it's it's a projection of their own sovereignty, I suppose we might want to say, if we're being psych- psychological. But then at the same time, we'd also have to say that Trump projects his own sovereignty onto the office of president. 
And he unites those two so that he's actually doing the really the forbidden thing to do with archetypes, which is to identify yourself with one. That's to say that that the man, Donald Trump, identifies himself with, with the office. He becomes like a king. Therefore, he's, he's not subject to checks and balances that the rest of us are, or that even now, it, I mean, it, it, like in old England, the, the kings weren't. But now, ironically, they are. And it's, it's therefore, you, you asked me about what it looks like from abroad. It's astonishing to see that, actually, because you were the ones that broke away. You had the freedom and, and you, you wouldn't be colonized by a wretchedly miserable, disgraceful king. And therefore, <laughs> you're, you're founded on freedom. And, and that, that is, we would think, would, would actually liberate all our, our feelings and make us more welcome to life. Right. Because we're not having to defend ourselves all the time from a bad thing. And yet here we are, we elected this wretched king, right? And so so it was democracy that brought us there. And I wonder what, in your perspective, I'm, I'm struck by your writings, Jules, where you said in ancient cultures, the moral character of the leader oh, was yeah. believed to have consequences for all the people and even yep. for the land itself. So yeah. what does it say about us? Uh, in light of Donald Trump's moral failings? Well, it's rich. it should start the other way around, really. I mean, it, what does it say about him first? Because after all, this comes from Oedipus, and Oedipus had made the, the mistake, as we might say, he's a poor man, he didn't know he was doing it, of um, <laughs> killing his father and marrying his mother, but it, and therefore the land of Thebes begins to die. And and he fights it, of course, as as we would. And then then he goes. He's sent off to the Delphic Oracle, who who gives the the word. If we took the analogy that the land suffers from the king's failings, and I I'm not sure that this isn't somehow linked. I don't know. Maybe you could tell me. Is is there a link between that way of thinking and the fact that Trump has ignored the pandemic pretty well, and it has increased, and and everybody is suffering. I know they are everywhere, but the metaphor or the the ancient story of Oedipus um, and the fact that Thebes suffers because he has done this dark crime does reflect something about the fact that something was wrong in our land, which may have been manifest by the pandemic of COVID-19, because COVID-19 has exacerbated a lot of the issues in the United States, more so than other parts of the world, shockingly Mm. to us. Um, And so therefore, not only has the pandemic illuminated the illness of the leader, but has um, pointed out the previous illnesses that were sitting there that that this leader has for five years ignored and may have been the result of denials of these ills. Um, you know, we, we have this perennial debate as to whether all of this is Donald Trump cause or symptom. And, and I think it's a big question right now. I think we're, we're still asking that question, you know, even in this um, attack last week. Is this because of Donald Trump? We can say yes, but were these issues embedded? And, and 
when you say oh, when a leader over identifies, I mean, obviously, this is a you know an identification as king or in a democratic leader or supposedly democratic leader. But can you tell say more about that? Like what what happens? Because I think it relates to something about like when you say well, history becomes myth. Yeah, and you know, and you've written about that, and I, I I think that that's really key and important for us to kind of be able to hold what's going on a little bit better or, or see what happened. Has history become myth? Yes, it's that's a very important question. Well, I, I think it comes to the problem of freedom, how we interpret freedom. Because if, if we just, to, just zoomed in on one tiny little thing, the refusal of, of followers of Trump, because he says so, to wear face masks because we're free not to. Well, of course, everybody has that freedom not to, but that's just the first part of it. And the second part never seems to follow, which is the responsibility to other people's freedom, that the people who come towards us with their masks have also a right to their freedom not to be infected by our not wearing them. And it seems to me that what what Trump has done is to inflate himself completely into the role of presidency, of kingship, it's easier to say, but it comes to the same thing, doesn't it? Of all powerful, my word is is the God, really. Mm-hmm. That's what we call of inflation. I mean, we, we can all get caught in it occasionally, can't we? A bit of inflation when we look at ourselves out and think, oh, God. And, and, and you come back down, you know, you think, don't be ridiculous. But it, this, is, this is a permanent thing. And if we listen to his niece, it's always been the case that his inflation has been fed by his family and by his money dealings with people and how he can get away with it. Everything. Right. Lack of of restraint in in every, just unchecked. Yeah. So, well, that's the thing that that's the the shadow side of freedom, isn't it? That's what we think. But but hasn't, I mean, freedom uh, as a concept, at least when we're talking about society, community, government has never been uh, suggested by anyone that it is unchecked, right? I mean, it's, it's a regulated freedom and it's a, there's, a, there's a social compact and that goes back to the, you know, to biblical yes. writings, the social compact. So when did it get metastasized to meaning that freedom means I can do whatever I goddamn please, well, I think it's whatever Trump goddamn pleases, that Trump said, what I think is free is free. Don't you think? If it, I'm quite sure if he if he's said told everyone to wear a mask of the Republican troop, they would wear yes. one. Yes, yes, so, I think so that's I think right. It's directly linked to the inflation of, of the leader. And and do you think that, you know, these uh, seditionists that, that – attacked the U.S. Capitol and threatened to attack again. We're in this position of transition of power, and a democracy's stability is is measured by a peaceful transition of power. We're not yes. in that right now. We're yeah. not having a peaceful transition. And yet these seditionists who assert their freedom to not wear a mask, to carry a gun into the chambers of the House, if they so please, if they're a member of Congress— who insist upon being able to carry firearms wherever and, and you know, insist on the right to have an automatic weapon here in the United States. Mm-hmm. This has not been just 
limited to Donald Trump's word. You know, this has been an issue that we have grappled with in the United States for a long time. And you have talked about this, Jules. So is this uniquely American? And there were people wearing pelts and and furs, and we were debating whether that was some kind of pioneer sort of symbolism, this Daniel Boone image um, of of pioneers retaking the government. Yeah. You know, I wonder what you think about that, given that you've you've kind of looked at how things have become mythologized. Yes, um, I, th- I certainly think that it is a, um, a return to the original wildness of freedom uh, from which they can do what they, they feel for. It, and as you say, it's the same with the Second Amendment. And, and wh- one of the things that that, that brings my thoughts too always is that it's almost like the constitution is is such a sacred text that it can't be rethought or adapted at all and therefore you've always got a, a dead certainty as it were to go back to whereas we know that we're all evolving and especially with weapons for instance i mean the second amendment couldn't have dreamt that of machine guns that could finish people off for Las Vegas with bump stock or whatever it is. And yet, if you try to say, could this be updated? You get a no, that's that's my creed, as it were. That's my belief. I, I, that can't happen. And Trump, of course, endorsed that because that's that's the his base, isn't it? I mean, there is a, a kind of narcissistic internecine relationship with his base whereby they feed each other don't you think absolutely absolutely and therefore and and if you if you can't up up i don't mean update the constitution because that's obviously wrong language but if you can't sort of massage it a little bit into the future for for instance i heard um and i can't remember her name but she was a, a lovely quiet spoken senator or historian and she was saying just what I was thinking at the time which was that perhaps the founding fathers could have imagined something um, a little less gentle they could have been a little more suspect about the people that would become (laughs) the leaders it was so sweetly put and then then they would have put in more checks and balances but it, honestly, it's the only vote, not that I know, I'm, I watch Anderson Cooper every night, but I mean, I, I I, wouldn't know, therefore, the whole, and I have the New York Times and all the rest of it, but it's not enough, obviously. Um, <laughs> but you don't see m- many people talking of checks and balances, like, for example, the power of the president to pardon, as in Manafort, whereby it would be very difficult to impeach someone if the president, before he leaves or in his next term, can pardon them. And this, this, however many days it is supposed to be between the vote and the next president, is a is a gap for for someone who is ruthless, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a dangerous period, you know. But I think what you're what some of what you're talking about is the myth overtaking actual history, because it, it, to, to say that the Constitution is sacred text is is sort of buying into the mythology of it, because it, 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 it can't be sacred text if if it has amendments. Right. And the amendments themselves. The, the, very, the, very, the very fact <laughs> that amendments exist exactly. demonstrates that the Constitution was not uh, perfect, that it yeah. was mutable. Uh, yeah. and And the very fact that that gun rights, to the extent that they exist at all, 
in the yeah, Constitution fine. are embodied in the Second Amendment. Yeah. It demonstrates that, right? Yes. Right. And, and that's uh, subject to different interpretations. It doesn't actually say everybody can has the right to bear no. a gun. No, absolutely not. Yes, I, th- I think that's absolutely right, that myth, histories become mythical in the image of the, well, shall we say, inflated king who, who wants it that way. And that's terribly dangerous. Right. So once, once myth gets confused with history, you've said that the, the myth becomes destructive. Yes. And I'm wondering if there are, if there are any examples that run counter to that maxim. I mean, is the, is the fate for every myth that, that it will inevitably become confused with real life and therefore always become destructive? Or are there some myths that, that, that actually work constructively? And I think, you know, before that, can you say some of the, the, the mechanisms by which when history becomes myth, it, it is dangerous, Jules, in your, in your conception of this? Yeah. Well, I mean, Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces is brilliant on this. But, but basically, myth, like the myth of freedom and the, the, the beautiful goddess of liberty, they reach down much deeper into our psyches than we probably realize. We're moved by them and then we're inspired. And, and it's, it's that deep down place where we have to go with an honest state of mind, really, or else we can just, it can overwhelm us and we can do what we feel like. And we can justify what we do because we feel it so passionately. And so it's really about the relation of the conscious to the unconscious that decides whether um, a myth is going to be destructive. I mean, if the myths, if the passion of the myth is allowed to go wherever it feels like, we're into two different levels of the psyche, aren't we? The the, the mythic level, which is usually mediated to us through poetry or or, or song or dance, or contain it has a containment in it, perhaps because it, as it were, knows how dangerous it can be. Whereas the, if our own little stories suddenly become larger than ourselves, like, say, Trump, then that's very dangerous because we, we take on the, the, the level of the psyche that doesn't belong to us. So we can do anything like Hitler. You're all powerful. So therefore, you can't possibly lose an election. It's got to be stolen. And the, the, I don't think he he means it but you could understand if he did because it would come from this confusion conflation of myth and history and they should be very much kept apart usually myth dies once it becomes into history and you you just carry on and you're not as inspired as you as you were once but suppose it doesn't suppose it's fueled by another mythic person who's making that connection with himself then that can go anywhere like we we've seen it throughout history. I mean, we've seen the Third Reich, haven't we? It came out of nowhere. The man came out of prison. Right. It it's just the rhetoric and the that and the poetry of myth. What I'm trying to say is, by terribly long winded, sorry, but that the poetry of myth moves us beyond ourselves, and that's very dangerous if we attach it 
to a historical position that we want, because then we get the worst of ourselves, what I want, I should have, with the best of ourselves, as it were, which says, look, of course, everybody's born free. Of course, it's we, we, we should have freedom. And of course, and therefore, they can get confused, especially if we have a leader who confuses them for us in everything he does and praises us when we follow him. I think it sounds like there there is also like a, a relationship between myth and say you know myth has a different um, tenor and and and, uh, and function than fantasy, but like there's a there's a way in which we can all imagine ourselves as heroes prevailing over dark forces or or opposing forces um, in a in a metaphorical sense, but if it becomes concretized, if you are actually imagining yourself as the quote pioneering hero attacking what you conceive to be your enemies on the U.S. Capitol that is not symbolic that is act literal it's like a you yes. know, what you're this conflation between myth and history is almost like a literalization of myth into actual events which is dangerous because yes. the the power and the emotions that that are wild and that are bigger than ourselves that can be destructive that can be as aggression and anger and 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 fear are are best contained by art and and interpreted and and digested yes. that way Absolutely. so then this is what's happening we are we are concretizing or or some people through Donald Trump's permission or aegis are are concretizing these big feelings or aggressions notions or 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 frustrations and and making them real right they existed long before trump but trump somehow uh uncorked the bottle right he he brought them out and he said and he yeah he ratified them exactly Mm -hmm. and and so i guess Mm -hmm. i I, you know i wonder how uh, how damaged uh is america uh, within ourselves and, and in our world standing by this moment that has been the Donald Trump presidency. If, if de Tocqueville said, all right, America is great because she is good. And if America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. great. Have, we, have we lost our standing or do we have an opportunity for redemption? Well, of course, there's an opportunity for redemption. But I, I do think that something serious has to be done to separate from Donald Trump's actions. And it's, it's, it's really disheartening to see so many Republicans not thinking that, that they put their party beyond their country. And you can't do that at the time like this. And I think if they, if they don't do something radical, like this is not us, we are, America is not like this, we are good and great, then I think it, it will damage the standing of, of America for, for Americans themselves, most primarily, which is really, really more, much more than mattering than anybody, anybody else thinks of it. But I don't think it would be so easy to be a leader in the world. And that would be terrible for the whole world. I want to ask you about this is not us, because to a certain degree, you know, looking at it psychologically, that that might imply something is cut off. Meaning maybe this yes. is us. Maybe the shadow of us is is actually needs to be acknowledged, but not in this manner. No, I think um, you're right, Betty. I, I mean, the dissonance, the, the, the dissonance that would be created by hundreds of elected federal officials who who ran one way hard in support of Donald Trump to now do 
an about face and and break with that the dissonance would be would, would well the be hypocrisy is you know, the hypocrisy is writ large and I, and Jules this is what you're addressing in in some senses and I and I read something by a historian um that was talking about the ratification that the the Republicans gave to the ste- the lie of the steel. So I think in your conception of myth and history, they gave a ratification to the lie by mm. defending it in the House um, yes. and in in the Senate. And and so then the joint meeting, those that said it was a steal when it was actively not a steal, the facts bear that it was not stolen. And yet these congressional members, they make it kind of real. And so I wonder, Jules, if they are making history into myth, like they are actually turning a lie into reality. Yes, And that is where Donald Trump's alchemy, dark as it is, is in this mixed place because his lies are he lost, but he, quote, won for some people. So you you can't ever lose because if you yeah. just twist the reality into what you want it to be, is that right, Jules? You're always in the myth. Yeah, you're always in the right. N- nothing else can happen. And th- th- the fact that three times in many cases, honest people went through every single vote, even by hand in Georgia. That's never mentioned. It's, that's, I find that fascinating that I haven't heard anybody come back with, yes, but three times and by hand, and are you accusing God knows how many people in Georgia of, of all their day's work and then another day and another day for nothing? Are you assuming they're all lying? And why would they do that? Well, right, because because people are only useful to Donald Trump as long as they agree with him. And then once they don't, yeah. even if it's because facts <laughs> suggest that they shouldn't, um, then they become an obstacle. Yes. And I mean, it's it's almost like kindergarten, like that whenever you win, there's no problem. But whenever somebody else does, they cheat. I mean, it's one of the first lessons we learn, isn't it? There is an objective reality. Right. And it speaks to the primal nature of, of Trump's psychology or his psyche. Yeah. He, he's very um, toddler-like, you know, and that, yes. that's been commented upon. And, and his followers seem to um, join him in that or, or it brings that out in, in them. And I wonder, Jules, like looking at United States historically and over time um, in its mythology of really prioritizing liberty and freedom, you know, where we're sitting in this moment where where this transition of power is not peaceful. And so therefore, our democracy is unstable. And do you feel like we can recapture the distinction between history and myth? Well, I would have thought that every single lie should be taken into into the factual level. What, what I, I hear quite a lot is that there's so many of them that people can't keep up. It's a torrent. And they can't say, mm-hmm. that's not true. How do you know it? Right. Oh, it's true. Well, what are your criteria? Oh, you don't need any. It's just no one ever follows him as far as I can see because they'd be kicked out by then. I mean, that's, that's kingship, isn't it? No one ever mm-hmm. gets to the end of it except his niece, who he won't talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Another psychoanalyst. <laughs> Who's wonderful, but you know, it, it, he he's never accountable. He's never asked to be accountable for anything, and 
no one ever asks the questions that I can hear, except in, in tones of despair, but never personally to him. He never has to answer anything. And I've been thinking so much about how he never actually says anything. It's like a sort of movement on a dance floor. It's it's like a way no to create a sneer and an opposition and an an and a further inflation of himself. It, it, and it's sort of each time he talks, it's almost like he gets larger and larger. But and it's so world. transparent, isn't it? I mean, it's such yeah, a it's, it's such an obvious grift, right? The, yes. the the notion that people say, "I've heard it suggested," yeah, exactly. it might have been. It's so obvious and and facile that it's a it it continues yet, to astound me. Yeah, and yet, interestingly, yeah. it's working. Absolutely. It's yeah worked. that it succeeds, right? And and that this is the party of supposedly of law and order that has not only cheated its way to this position, Donald Trump has cheated his way, but now he's just overturned the table. He's no longer even cheating. He's just they're they're just ransacking the Capitol. Yeah. And I mean the irony is that it takes a, a technical company to shut him up. <laughs> Twitter <Isn't it? laughs> and yeah. Facebook. I mean uh, <laughs> it's they should have done it four years ago. Yeah, they should right. have done it. Right. I mean, I, I think that there's a, a cynical view on that is that they were making too much money um, yeah, up until uh, yeah. they didn't have to now that he's not going to be president anymore. And I think that that's something to identify. We are speaking on the advent of Joe Biden, and we are still talking about Donald Trump. And I'm sure that that's, you know, a, a mark of his continued impact of his psychopathology. However, you know, in this in this moment where so many historic things are happening, it's hard to even process. There's mm. this. Uh, raid on the U.S. Capitol, which is absolutely unprecedented, a second impeachment of a president of the United States, which is still hard for me to read and make sense of. Impeached again just almost sounds like an absurdist joke. Um, there is a question of a, a transition of power that is going to be um, or is unstable in the United States. Yes. Um, and we're obscuring the very interesting fact of we're having our first vice president who is is a woman and a person of color. And that just gets sort of like left, you know, far, far down the table. Um, and Joe Biden is going to enter into the ascend the presidency with a, a majority rule in the Senate, which we didn't think was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, how do you see that moment? Jules, you know, with with your perspectives on myth, politics, and history, how can we use use that expertise to think about this differently than than say the folks do on CNN and and MSNBC and and Fox News? I I would have thought it would start by stopping the obsession with what Trump says, thinks, and does. That it, he he should be just not spoken of, if if possible. Mm-hmm. And, mm -hmm. and leave it to the banks. I mean, he, there are other people who who's, who he w might listen to, as it were, um, because he has to. And I, I think what we're doing, of course, we, we have to, but we're at the end of it. We're at the, the end of talking about Trump, Ho hopefully. It should What's only up? be, I think, as a... As a, as a a mirror to something good that's happening f from now on. I would have thought that, that that's the best thing that we could do is, is simply embrace 
Joe Biden and and try and protect him and and Kamala Harris from these the people who will look for everything they do to run them down in in the name of Trump, presumably. The thing is, he's not gone, is he? I mean, he's not going to go unless unless he's sort of frozen out. We may have to sort of do something like banish him from our minds. <laughs> um, so some kind of, uh, you know, act he, that he way. Whose name, he whose name must not be mentioned. Yes. <laughs> right, right. That's right. It, it may not, it may, I mean, it, you know, this is something that, that we have to mull over and have to think about, you know, and, and, and what we're doing as putting a lens of psychology onto politics yes. is how do we think about this in a different way and put, make sense of nonsense. Yes. And so I think your wisdom on, you know, not, you know, giving fuel to the attention fire of Donald Trump might be a great way to sort of conclude our conversation. Well, I have, I have, I have a question for the two of you, though, before we go, because I, I need the insight from the mental health professionals. And that is, given that the U.S. electorate and, and, poss- and perhaps the world has become so uh, addicted, for better and for worse, to the chaos that has been the Trump era. How will our minds adapt, reset um, to the predictable uh, boredom of, <laughs> of, a, of a technocratic professional uh, who is not keeping us at, you know, at, at these manic uh, levels of highs and lows with every news cycle? Are we, are we capable of adapting back to some normal set of predictable behaviors and emotions, or are we going to need the fix? I think one of the things that keeps us going on Trump is that we have the delusion that we can convince anyone through argument, and we're absolutely nuts to carry on thinking that. And I can't prevent myself from thinking it every moment of the time I ever see him, but I I know it's wrong at the same time. So maybe we could actually... Just give up that because it may have we may have some deeper longing for our own worldview to be reinstated at, at the at the heart of it, which would be our, our unconscious not not being very helpful, and and maybe we should just let let it go again and just focus on on curing people on on healing the pandemic. When we're in these states, it helps, doesn't it, when we do something most precise and particular and we, yes. we test, set ourselves a limited goal and we don't mind about the noise and we don't want, don't care if anybody agrees with us. We just do a little bit and then a little bit more. And, and it's a goal. It's a good one. And, and that's enough, really. I think his inflation doesn't help our, our own anti-inflation on him certainly speaking for myself i know some people raise their eyes when i start to talk about trump and i don't really understand and i try not to but you know you know what i mean probably but absolutely i think it's i just listening to joe biden's talk it's very precise and particular and it's measured and if we just followed the the the, the next stage next and tried to to help people not be ill that is enough, isn't it, to be going on? That would probably cure us, do you think? 
I think I think that's like well that. said, Jules, and and I think what you both point to is that there's an addictive quality to what has been going on, and so we need to recognize that, which is what we're doing right now, and and uh, detox. You know, we have to go into rehab. This is we need to start to take ourselves off this drug and and go with it. It will be a relief. It is a relief, and we have to take care, just like you were saying, Jules, heal take care of the pandemic, deal yes. with healthcare, deal with the economic crisis, focus on wellness. And I think that that will actually settle the ills of all of this over anxiety and uncontained aggression and rage. It sounds simplistic, but it really is like I'm following what you say, Jules, and Joe Biden himself is is really focused on this. And, and I think it's it's the right way forward. Yeah, I think that's that's lovely. Yeah. It's a wonderful prescription. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been lovely to talk to you. Really, it has. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Mind of State. If you like this episode, you'll find plenty more on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mind of State Pod. Our website is mindofstate.com. Mind of State is produced by Alita Cooper and Jenny Woodward. Special thanks to our co-founder, Thomas Singer. I'm Betty Tang. And I'm Jonathan Kopp. Join us next time on Mind of State.